Welcome to the Modern Husbands Podcast, where every other week, Dr. Ross, Christian, and I discuss strategies to manage money with our partners, share lifestyle ideas to live happier and healthier lives, and have some lighthearted laughs along the way. Thank you for joining today. This happens to be our inaugural Modern Husbands podcast. Every other week, Dr. Ross, Christian Shale, and myself are going to meet with a guest, a national thought leader, to discuss strategies to manage money with our partners, share lifestyle ideas to live happier and healthy lives, yeah. and have some lighthearted laughs. So we are a brand new community. So you might be wondering what a modern husband is. And if you're listening and you support your partner's career ambitions, if you root for their career successes, if you respect your partner and want to help lead many of the efforts around the home and believe managing money responsibly is important, if you want to live a life full of experiences with your partner, you are a modern husband. Welcome to our community. Uh, before we get started, I have to share and boast a little bit about uh, our co-host, Dr. Ross is an assistant professor at the University of Kentucky, holds a PhD in human development and family science with an emphasis in marriage and family therapy and a specialization in financial counseling and counseling and financial therapy practices. Christian Sherrill is the director of growth and advocacy at the Next Gen Personal Finance, whose mission is to revolutionize the teaching of personal finance in all schools to improve the financial lives of the next generation of Americans. He's a Dartmouth grad who holds a degree in economics and Hispanic studies, and his wife, Chelsea, is an MD and an emergency medicine resident at NYU. And I'm Brian Page, founder of Modern Husbands and husband to my amazing wife, Hope Page. Dr. Ross, Christian, and I are all thrilled that fellow Modern Husband Advisory Board member, Dr. Brad Klontz, will be our expert guest today, which is our, again, inaugural ep episode. Dr. Klontz is a CFP expert in financial psychology, financial planning, and applied behavioral finance. And he's an associate pro uh, professor of practice at Creighton University, co-founder of the Financial Psychology Institute, and managing principal of your me mental wealth advisors. And I have to add, is a best-selling author. He just released a book. We will get to that in a little bit. And finally, a member of the CNBC Financial Wellness Council. So we're going to talk to Dr. Klontz about why so many smart people make really bad decisions with money and why so many couples argue about money. Um, speaking of which, it's time to put uh, Christian on the spot. Hate to do this, Christian. Um, but we were talking earlier about our worst or our most di disastrous dates. So you were digging way back into your college years uh, and you recalled a Valentine's Day. Can oh you share? Can you share a little bit about that? Yes. Um, I don't know if I should say gladly. I'll share this with, <laughs> with you and the listeners, but I will. I will. I will dish. I will dish up my worst date I've ever been on. <laughs> um, and it, 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 hopefully, it will uh, tell you a little bit about uh, you know how I exist in the world. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is a relatable group of folks. Um, I make lots of financial mistakes. Uh, and this is a perfect example of that. So this, this harkens me back to college years. I, I must've been 19 or 20. I've been dating a young lady at the time. And uh, <clears throat> upon us came Valentine's Day. Y'all are, are aware of Valentine's Day. It's an annual holiday <laughs> celebrating love, uh, you know, companionship. Couples. It's it's a it's an unforgettable holiday, Christian. Yeah, 
Truly. Well, um, <laughs> supposed to be. <laughs> supposedly an unforgettable holiday, but lo and behold, um, whenever this was years ago, uh, I forgot about this annual tradition, this annual holiday celebrating St. Valentine. And so I'm scrambling the morning of February 14th, it happens to be, for anybody wondering, uh, you know, what, when this takes place, February 14th. I'll put, that, I'll put that in my calendar. Jot it yeah. down. Don't be like Christian. Um, I wake up the morning of February 14th, and uh, I remember that it's February 14th. It's time to, well, it's past time to book <laughs> dinner for me and my girlfriend at the time. Yeah, those so reservations I, normally a couple months in advance, right? <laughs> So they say, so they say, um, I I'm scrambling. And so I find a place, <laughs> this is even more embarrassing, but at the time I was living in an off-campus apartment, <laughs> the restaurant, the restaurant that I booked was two flights of stairs down from said, uh, off-campus apartment, um, <laughs> uh, booked, booked the dinner. Uh, all is going okay. You know, we show up to the dinner. There's no evidence that I've forgotten about it until the day of. We have a, a fine meal and test out some new cuisines that we haven't had. And we're having a nice conversation and it's all going fine until the bill comes. Not only uh, am I just, you know, I have no money. Uh, I'm working three jobs to try to, uh, plus student loans and all the rest to try to get through school. But I've also forgotten my wallet. <laughs> and which, just, which, which, before you continue, uh, let's remind listeners, is only two stories up. But uh, go ahead and proceed, yeah. Christian. It's an important caveat. <laughs> Somehow that solution that, you know, just bound up the stairs, it didn't, it didn't come to mind. It didn't, present your, it didn't present itself. Okay. No, no. So midway through the dinner, I didn't think to take a bathroom break and just, you know, bound up the stairs, of course. Um, so this led to, you know, a big uh, blow up argument over money, responsibility, forgetfulness, boneheadedness, which I fully deserved. Um, you know, I, I was on the receiving end of that, uh, series of lectures and tirades um yeah. <laughs> it, it was was the valentine's day dinner with her the next year uh better i think at that point uh we, we were no longer <laughs> really that's so, christian that surprises me so dr ross um do we have time on this podcast to review uh what perhaps could have been done differently um in preparation of how of a Valentine's Day, in your professional opinion, was this a modest mistake or um, what? Well, n knowing Christian, I think it was a modest mistake. <laughs> I think it's you know it's something that probably a lot of us have you know just forgot things before. Um, but there's always uh, a certain element that we can always plan a little bit better. We can always be thinking ahead about what we should be doing, um, and I think. Most important is probably that you've learned something from it, right? I, I, I tell you, I, I, I tell you what our listeners have learned is that if uh, you want a free meal, just to forget your forget your wallet, I guess. 
Well, if you want a free meal, don't go to dinner with Christian. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's right. right we, we, we need to bring uh, Dr. Klontz on. But before we do, um, we have got to share just a couple dad jokes. I don't know why we do this other than the fact that uh, I'm slightly immature and I love to laugh. And uh, yeah, we just it's our podcast and us three can do what we want. Right. Yeah. Corny jokes. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully the folks don't turn off their podcast and, and go away before we hear from Dr. Klontz. <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> so I got a, an absolutely terrible one that's perfect for Brian. Are you ready, Brian? <laughs> I am ready. Okay. Did you hear about the terrifying diets of dyslexic zombies? Uh, you would think I would because I live pretty close to where... Uh, the Walking Dead is filmed, but no, I have not. Watch out. They only eat Brian's. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. Watch out, Brian. That was good. Brian's instead of brains. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I have one for, for our listeners. Christian, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So I had a rough July 4th weekend. What happened, Brian? I lost three fingers on my right hand and asked the doctor if I would still be able to write with it. What did he say? He said, maybe, but he wouldn't count on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Oh, I think it's time to bring in Dr. Klontz and save us. I Listeners. So. It's been a great ride. It's been a great <laughs> ride. We made it all of 10 minutes. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Modern Husbands. We are a community of devoted husbands of working spouses who share ideas to manage money, the house, and a life full of experiences. Visit modernhusbands.com to learn more. Uh, an award-winning author in financial psychology and uh, financial planning, applied behavioral finance. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Klontz, and probably ending uh, our misery. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thank you. Where uh, where does your passion to help people manage money come from? Well, unlike you, Christian, I do everything perfectly around money. And my wife and I <laughs> never fight around money. Um, and uh, obviously, I'm teasing. And, and that's really how I got interested in money is, is essentially for my own mess. And so having grown up lower income, my parents split when I was young, we didn't have much money. I was very acutely aware of the differences between having money and not having money. And I came to the conclusion that it was much better to have money than to not have money. Um, and at an early age, I started to, I think I had a little scientist brain going on. I was trying to figure out number one, why did my parents divorce? I was trying to figure that out. So I, cause I didn't want to have that experience. Um, and I was also trying to figure out why do, um, like I come up from a family of really hardworking, smart people and just for generations, no money. And I was sort of struck with, you hmm. know, what's that mindset? Cause you know, some branches of my family have been here since the Mayflower. And it's like, seriously, like th there's not one piece of land that is owned. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what's been going on for all these generations. So I was very curious as a kid to, uh, I, I remember interviewing some of my friends, parents who happened to live in a nicer neighborhood. I thought they were rich. They're probably just like middle-class, <laughs> but I was like, I couldn't believe their houses and all this. And I remember 
even as in middle school, asking the dad, like, what do you do for a living? And, and how did you get that job? And I, I just remember being really curious about it. So that that sort of sets the stage around why I was interested in it to begin with. And when I went to grad school, I remember going to the occupational, or, or I mean, undergrad, to the occupational outlook handbook. I decided I want to be a therapist. So I'm like, okay, which therapists make the most money? <laughs> you know, um, if I'm going to have to go through all this school, I, I want to pick that degree. Um, but what really got me interested in the psychology of money was when I when I got out of grad school, I owed $100,000 in student loan debt. It was the only way to get through college. Um, that was a lot of money at the time. I think it's still a lot of money. Um, but this was like yep. 20 years ago. And I saw I saw a friend of mine make $100,000 in one year day trading. And oh, no. I thought, I thought, well, this guy knew nothing about the stock market. And I'm like, well, I know nothing about the stock market. Yeah. So I can do this too. So anyone can do I, it. <laughs> exactly. Well, I saw him do it. And he had no idea what he was doing. I remember him sitting at his computer going, I'm buying EMC, click. I'm like, what's that? He goes, I don't know. Um, and actually he made a hundred thousand doing that, you know, in, in a massive bull market. Um, and I sold everything I had of value <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to invest it all. I'm going to make a hundred thousand. I'm going to pay off my loans and then I'll be set. Um, and of course, three months into it, the tech bubble burst. And so I just caught it right there at the end. I did great for three months. I started to watch my money melt away. And I asked myself this question, why would a reasonably intelligent person do something so stupid with his money? That's what got me interested in the whole uh, psychology of money field. What are a few examples of why really smart people do make these bad financial decisions? Uh, I think so fundamentally, it, it has really helped me to think about this with a cave person brain. Okay, so like the majority of our time on Earth as a species, like 99.99% of our time on Earth has been us running around in hunter-gatherer tribes of 150 people, you know, fighting for survival, trying to stick together. And I think that actually explains most terrible financial behaviors. Hmm. Um, for example, saving is, doesn't really work in a hunter-gatherer tribe. So first of all, you can only, you know, save what you can carry, right? So that's not a whole yeah. lot of stuff. Um, secondly, if I'm, you know, if we're part of a tribe and all of a sudden I'm hoarding all the stuff, you know, you three are going to be looking at me like, you know, you're not really a team player here. You're not really part of the tribe, you know? So we, we have this like anti-saving bias, I think that is sort of built in, um, and which, which hurts us in terms of, cause it feels selfish. And if you grew up in a lower income environment, um, it, it can, you have that sense, like I'm doing something wrong by saving money when other people don't around me, don't have it. Like there's this inhibition to doing that, um, as well as all the sort of behavioral finance stuff, Dr. Ross, which I know, you know, all about, you know, it's yeah. all the, um, all, all of the ways that we survive, you know, as a species are terrible for money, you know, <laughs> so all the biases <laughs> come into play. So I, I think that, I think what's crazy is that there are actually people who do the right thing around money. That's the weird part. That is harder yeah, to make sense the, of. That's the abnormal thing, right? <laughs> exactly. I truly believe that. So, so first of all, we're all crazy when it comes to money. We're just sort of built on this crazy structure on money. And then throw in your individual craziness based on your experiences growing up, based on your beliefs around money that you inherited from your family that go back for generations. And that's actually some of what I found is, um, so I, one of the things I did is I, I went into the field of psychology and I couldn't find any studies on the psychology of money, which was really bizarre. 
I couldn't, first of all, that was, I sort of joke within a matter of a couple of weeks, I became the world's leading expert in psychology and money only because psychologists didn't want to talk about money and didn't want to touch money and, and all of that. Um, But what I did is I went home and I started to interview my family members, my poor mother, she had been through this before where I stick a tape recorder in front of her. I'm like, why did you do this to me when I was growing up? Um, And I asked, I interviewed my mom, I interviewed my dad. What was it like for you growing up around money? What was it like for grandma and grandpa? And I started to hear these stories that just blew my mind. So one of the ones that really helped explain why I was crazy around money, my grandfather lost all his money in the Great Depression. So didn't have much money, but went to the bank one day and all the money's gone and nobody's there at the bank anymore. Um, And this happened at the beginning of the Great Depression. And um, so all of a sudden that anxiety and mistrust about financial institutions that was sort of inherent in my family, like my mom never invested. She didn't trust it it all started to make sense to me. It's like, ah, this makes sense. And my grandfather, for his part, never put a dollar in the bank the rest of his life. He lived into his 90s and and, uh, kept his money in a lockbox. That that was it. I mean, it's like, what a terrible approach to wealth building. (laughs) You know? You've got a shoebox under the bed kind of thing. (laughs) That's exactly right. That's exactly what he did because he was not going to let that happen Mm -hmm. to him again. He was not going to be traumatized like that again, ever. And so these family stories started to emerge and uh, my craziness around money started to make perfect sense. And I, I, and sort of the conclusion I got is like any reasonable person growing up in a family like that would have those beliefs. And, and for me, I call it a dysfunctional pendulum swing. And so I'm like, I'm not going to be poor like my family. They don't invest. So I'm going to invest. And so not knowing what to do, I, I actually approached it in the worst possible way you can approach investing, you know, uh, day trading and doing it in the like riskiest asset class that was in a bubble. I just did all the mistakes that that somebody would do. It makes sense why I did it. Do you, do you see those same parallels with crypto? Oh yeah, absolutely. I would have been all in on crypto. Um, I would probably convince my family members to invest in it, sell everything mm-hmm. you own um, because you hear these stories about people making yeah. money, right? And yeah. and um, that's really got, kind of what got me passionate about social media a few years back is I saw these videos on TikTok of people like promoting like day trading. Right. I, was, yeah. I was so appalled. I'm like, no, this can't be bad. And then I'm like, of course it's back, duh. I mean, right. we're in another bull market. And um, so I started to like passionately make videos because, you know, unfortunately people are experiencing the consequences of it now, but I I like to think that I talked some people out of engaging in um, real like speculative moves around money. This is a poor mindset. Okay. This is a poor mindset. And it's um, quite literally from growing up poor, you know, it's like, you don't know how wealthy people make money. You don't know how they invest money. You hear that they invest, you're you're sort of desperate to get rich quick, because, not even get rich quick, but get uh, stop being poor quick mm-hmm. is really what I think you're trying to do, right? You want to give your a better life for your family. And so not knowing any better, people are very vulnerable to those get rich quick type schemes and dreams. Well, I see that all the time with my college students right now. They're all about I, get rich quick. <laughs> I, uh, Christian just messaged me. He's being um, he's got to step in and help his uh, lovely wife with something. But he had a burning question for you, Doctor Klontz, before he leaves. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, th- this is hitting me like straight and straight to my core. Um, so you know, in modern husbands, we're uh, talking about like individual financial decisions, but also decisions that we make as a team with our partners. So is there a secret to, you know, managing money with a partner as a team without fighting, without arguing? Yes. Well, there's only one right way to do money. And if you can just convince your partner to do it your way, <laughs> you'll have you'll have no problems at all. Just I was sort of 
<laughs> Chuck Hardy's <laughs> article said, you know, you must have joint or separate accounts. I mean, the bottom line is, you know, what matters is what you guys decide works as a couple. So that's the first thing. There is no like objective right way to do this. Okay. And um, step one is letting go of that and trying to like beat your partner in submission, you know, with, with yeah. your money scripts and the right way to do it. Um, but what I always encourage couples to do is sort of have the conversation that you had, I don't know, four dates in, five dates in, how many dates we can, we should have that debate where you said, you know, I don't know, like, do you want to have kids? Like, I mean, at some point you have these types of discussions. We never have those discussions around money. And so when I work with couples in conflict around money, I like to take whatever it is, this thing that they're fighting about, which actually I don't really care about at all. It's just, of course, it's just one of the hundred things you're going to have to work out. And I like to kind of rewind. and, And so that you as a couple can sit down and understand your, do you even understand your partner's like beliefs around money and their upbringing around money and um, what their mother and father taught them and what their deepest fears are around money and what their aspirations are around money. And I've worked with um, dozens of couples and by going back and having that conversation. And if you, if you do a good job of listening, all of a sudden your partner's crazy kind of beliefs around money are going to start making sense to you. Um, And I make videos about this because, you know, couples who are married have the highest net worth. Like it's actually a great hack for increasing right. your net worth is being married. Um, of course you need to stay married. <laughs> um, but one of the benefits of having a partner is that they can, they can help balance out your craziness around money. And my wife has certainly done that for me. Like she's like, Hey, should we buy a couch? And I'm like, Hey, aren't lawn chairs are fine. You know, like, right. Couch. Yeah. Um, and, and I, apparently I had an extreme position around money, which I wasn't very conscious of until I got in a relationship and somebody's going, what, you only have two forks. <laughs> um, and so we have the opportunity to balance each other out and be healthier. And that's what all the studies show too, is that your beliefs around money are actually healthier when you're partnered up. I'm, I'm glad you shared the fact that it's okay to spend money too, because I, that, that was one of the challenges that my wife and I face is I'm, I'm really frugal. Um, and, and I was really frugal to the extreme years ago. Um, and, and we figure out like little tricks to, to maintain our happiness. Like when we go out to eat, um, for whatever reason, even though if I, I enjoy the meal or whatever it may be, when the bill comes and I see it, unless I'm Christian who forgot my wallet, I'm, I'm going to be like, <laughs> I mean, it's going to ruin my night. Like I just can't, I hate spending money. I have a physical reaction. Like I, I get a headache if I see that, but even though I don't see it because my wife takes the bill and she's the one that takes care of it and looks at it, even though I know that money's leaving our checking account, it, it doesn't bother me unless I see it. And I'm, and I think it's important that um, we continue the conversation about maybe other ways in which partners can work together and balance each other's strengths and weaknesses out. Um, Dr. Ross, feel free to jump in if you have any other suggestions or ideas. And I know uh, Christian, speaking of um, working with our spouses, he has to, to bail uh, Christian until next time. We will see you soon. Thank you all. I appreciate you. I think it's always funny too, like you get into these these situations and they're like, I'll spend money on this thing, but I won't spend it on this other area in my life. Like, um, and some of it just doesn't make sense. Like I will buy these products because I feel like I need them, but I won't spend any money on replacing, you know, this thing that I use every day. When you're talking to couples about managing money, um, what are some examples of um, like how they can, pull together like shared goals um, or recognize where they could naturally like uh, work um, well together. Um, So rather than tackling the tough stuff, can you give us like a couple, you know, tips that our listeners would find useful uh, that they could apply right now? 
Yeah. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to uh, schedule a meeting. Actually, it's better if you just spring it on them. Like, don't even tell them it's coming. But say, um, let's do a budget and we can examine each other's spending and try to cut out all the joy in each other's <laughs> lives. We're going to start with you. Okay. So um, let's sit down and see all the spending. Let's review all your spending this last month. And I, I can sit back and tell you don't need, come on, a hair dry. You, you don't need to color your hair. What are you doing? Like, you know, look how much money we can save. Like I, I'm obviously I'm being facetious, but this right. is sort of the budgeting experience. A lot of couples have like, of course you don't want to sit down and do a budget. You know, your partner does, doesn't even like some of the stuff you're doing. Um, and, and we get sucked into that trap. And of course you want to avoid the entire conversation. Like what a terrible emotional experience that is, by the way, it's a terrible emotional experience for anyone, let alone with a couple who are doing that to each other. And right. so what I, I strongly suggest is you sort of flip the script on it and you, you do a spending plan. It's a little bit of a, you know, mnemonic trick here, but mm -hmm. doesn't that sound more fun? Like, Hey, let's sit down and think about what matters most to us. What do we want? Okay, so you have money, you have resources coming in. Where do you want to allocate those resources? What excites you? You know, start start identifying your top goals and see if you can align goals or at least support each other in in those goals. And I I find it to be much a much better emotional experience. Um and if you can get more specific about those goals and visualize them, this is a great hack. We did a study where we had people do that and we saw a 73% increase in savings behavior once you got really clear on your goals. And this was only just an hour of coming up with some like vision boards around these exciting goals. Activate your emotional brain in a positive way in your relationship around money versus a scarcity way where, you know, you're frustrated, you're upset, you're not happy with each other. So I, I like to start with the spending plan, come up with a real shared, exciting vision of what you want money to do for you in your life. So where you said, you're you spending the money instead of just where you're taking the money away from the things you enjoy. Yeah, I, yeah, that's it. And and the emotional experience is like we've already identified, you know, these are our top 6 goals and we share 3 of them, but you know, a couple are yours, a couple are mine, and we're going to allocate our money in those resource in those areas and then you go, okay, so now what where do we want to make cuts? Because you've already identified what matters most. And it's just it's a real fascinating sort of emotional experience because you've just said all this other stuff doesn't matter as much. And so if you want to make sure that you're going to reach those goals, you're going to decide how much you're going to allocate each month toward those goals. Um, and you can balance it out, you know, on goals that you might not share. And then you can jointly kind of move towards cutting it. It's a very different experience. Very much so. So, and uh, to Dr. Klontz, I know you have a new book um, that's out. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, your listeners probably don't want to buy it at all. Uh, it's called, <laughs> I'm sure that's not true. Well, it, it could be. Um, it, it's called the psychology of financial planning. Um, and so, if you're not in the financial service industry, you know, I, you might like it if you're a nerd. But it, it's designed uh, well, for I'm that a nerd, audience. So I know I'll like it. I think you'll <laughs> like it a lot, Bruce. I think you'll like it a lot. But my uh, previous book, A Money Mammoth, is the one that I think resonates with most, like non-professionals, and it mm. talks about that cave person brain. And it talks about, um, you know, your money scripts and what they predict for you around your future, as well as I, I did my best to take the, the stuff we did in the studies to get people to increase their savings rates and all that and put it into narrative form with instructions to have people do that on their own. So that was my attempt with Money Mammoth. And I have one final question. You brought up money scripts quite a few times and not all, all of our listeners, is they're, they're not going to know what that is. So uh, can you maybe share a little bit about that? Yeah, so money scripts is the term that that we've been using to describe these 
beliefs you have about money, many of which are inherited from your family. And we've done studies on this now with tens of thousands of people. And you know, your, your beliefs around money here, big, big shocker out there. Like what you believe around money predicts your income, your net worth, your behaviors hmm. around money, your credit card debt. And so it really is very valuable exercise for you to actually sort of dig in there and try to figure out what are your beliefs and assumptions around money. Um, you know, we have tests to do that, but another way to do it is to just think back to what, you know, what are the three things your mother taught you about money? What are the three things your father taught you about money? What are your early experiences around money? What lessons did you walk away from related to those? How are they helping you? How are they hurting you? Because if you can shift your beliefs around money, and by the way, studies have shown that like ultra wealthy people have different beliefs around money than middle-class people and people don't have as much money. And um, so as a student for me of wanting to increase my net worth throughout my life to give my kids a better experience than I had, I was very curious in the psychology of, of wealthy people, you know, especially self-made wealthy people, people who were able to climb the ladder. Like people started out exactly where I did. Some people climb the ladder, some don't. And, you know, studies show that there's a difference in their psychology. And so um, to me, which I'm, is I'm, what can you, can you give us a specific example? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that's happening is we're being lied to on social media around how rich people actually spend their money. And this is something I can get that really upsets me. I'm just going to be straight up with you. Keeping up with the Joneses kind of mentality is just. (laughs) That's absolutely it. And and so keeping up with the Joneses. So our studies have found that the ultra wealthy are the opposite of keeping up with the Joneses. It's really fascinating. So um, people are really focused on status around money. For example, if you ask them how much money they made, they will admit in a test, psychological test, they'll say, well, I'd probably tell you I make more than I actually do. Now, th- those people have less money and less net worth. The the ultra wealthy people, they would they will they say I would probably tell you make less than I actually do. And and that's a real mind bender because you don't see that on Instagram. You see yeah. people leaning up against Mercedes and flashing, you know, wads of cash. It's sort of crazy, but people think that's what people do or they watch, you know, um, t- reality TV, they think, oh, that's what rich people do. It's actually not what rich people do. Those are people who are perhaps on that cycle of spending all the money they inherited, which is a common thing, or, you know, they're, they're just yeah. social media people who get paid to do that. Right. It, it goes back to the millionaire next door. Like most people who are uh, millionaires, in the United States, most are self-made. Most are employees, by the way, they're not entrepreneurs. They're just religiously setting money aside each month into that Boring 401k. Yeah. We we have hundreds of thousands of people becoming millionaires every year from those boring 401ks. <laughs> um, so if you don't have one, get one, fully fund it. That, that's how most people are getting there. I'm glad you said that because yeah. we've, uh, Dr. Ross and I, Christian and others, we've talked about how, frankly, it's dangerous on like TikTok and Instagram and like the, the way that they portray wealth building and money is just, is clearly not something that um, is sustainable and it's not something that is realistic. Um, and, and you brought up the, the point that matters most is get into your 401k, match it, get to the, if you can um, contribute the max and just get into index funds. Like this idea that people are stock picture pictures or they can buy crypto at the right time is 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 really a you know kind of a dangerous uh, uh, pursuit toward um, 
I guess what the Joneses have. So I, I, Dr. Klotz, thanks for, for coming in today. Um, for our listeners, we're going to put uh, links to uh, his books uh, on our website at modernhusbands.com. Um, and thank you for, for our listeners. Um, please visit modernhusbands.com uh, for ideas to manage money, uh, the house, and a life full of experiences with your partner. Uh, and you can also subscribe there to future podcasts. Uh, once again, thank you, Dr. Klontz. Uh, hopefully we will have you on again soon. Thanks for having me, Brian, Dr. Ross, Christian. Thanks, appreciate Claude. you guys. Thanks, Dr. Klontz.